Thanks, Matt. Some of those tricky words, names. <laughs> not trying to haze them. That's just the text we had. You know, it's powerful to think about uh, Paul's letter uh, to Timothy. Second Timothy is probably the last letter he wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith. Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus, and Tim- Paul himself at the time is in prison. If you read all of Second Timothy, you'll get to chapter 4, and you'll see that Paul recognizes that soon he will, he will probably die. He, he says, I fought the fight, I've run the race, and I've maintained the faith. And even though he faces his own death and his own uh, pending destruction, Paul is not afraid. For as he says, God does not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Well, speaking of one who's not afraid, if you've been with us last Sunday, you know that we've begun a new sermon series on King David. King David is, is mentioned, more, uh, more verses of Scripture are in the Old Testament are committed to King David than any other character in the Old Testament. He is a, a prominent figure in the life of the people of Israel, and well, he's described as a man after God's own heart. And so we've got this sermon series that we're going through David to talk about what it means to be a person after God's own heart, for he was a premier king uh, during the days of Israel, but he was by no means perfect. But while he was young, he was quite courageous. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we talked about how he was the eighth son of Jesse, and when Samuel the prophet went to Jesse's house in Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel, you know, he saw Eliab, the oldest son, who was tall in stature, and immediately Samuel thought to himself, surely this must be the Lord's anointed, but God told Samuel that he does not see as man sees, God looks at the heart. And ultimately, the son that was going to be chosen, anointed as the next king of Israel was a young shepherd boy named David. When everyone else saw a shepherd, God saw a king. And if you'd like to know more about what that means, I would encourage you to go to our church's webpage and you can find last week's sermon. But as we continue the story of King David, we now turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning with verse 3. It may be found on page 305 of your Red Pew Bible. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this powerful story of a young shepherd boy who was able to have the courage to fight the giant Goliath. God, as we read these familiar words, I pray that you might help us to see afresh and anew the truth you want to tell us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. 1 Samuel 17, beginning with verse 3. Listen to the word of the Lord. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of silver. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, "'Why have you come out to draw up for, for battle?' Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, 
I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of the three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your broken, take for your broke, your brothers an ephtha of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went. As Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the encampment as the host was going out, out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So it shall be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. 
Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath And killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to show you a picture this morning of Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow is the tallest man in uh, modern history. Uh, He was eight feet 11 inches, 8 feet 11 inches. Man, was huge. Goliath, according to the Hebrew of our text, was 9 feet 9 inches. Robert would look short next to Goliath the giant. In fact, anyone who who would see a 9 foot 9 inch man would be overwhelmed by his size and and certainly shudder in fear and and become anxious. It reminds me of the time that uh, several years ago when I was still at uh, Highland Park Presbyterian Church as the missions pastor there, one of the church members knew that I was uh, an avid basketball fan and and he had this grand idea actually uh, to buy uh, tickets through his company. He was able to buy uh, floor seats to the NBA All-Star Game on Valentine's Day and he wanted to give them to his wife, but his wife did not like basketball. It was a bad gift. So to make up for it, he said, well, I'll give them to Howard. You know, I know he likes sports. And so I, uh, I took the, the tickets, and uh, my wife didn't want to go either. So I took a buddy to the game on Valentine's Day. Pray for me. I'm still trying to get over that. But I did, by God's providence, catch a T-shirt. Like, they show up throughout those T-shirts, and I caught a T-shirt. I gave it to Sarah. And I said, hey, here's a T-shirt. You know, anyway, pray for me. <laughs> So I'm at the game, right, and I've got these floor seats. It's amazing, and it's at, it's at Jerry's World, Jerry Jones, the Cowboys Stadium, AT&T Stadium. I've never been there before. It's huge. Finally make my way to the floor, and I can see my seat, and it's just right across this aisle here, and I'm about to walk across the aisle, and then this man with a long rope comes running by, and he pulls the rope in front of me, and, and, and I said, well, sir, my seat's right over there, and he says, well, you're going to have to wait 
And so I have to sit there, you know, and wait. And then all of a sudden, dream of dreams, the Western All-Stars come running through the aisle. And my favorite player of all, Tim Duncan, is coming down the aisle. And I've got his jersey on. <laughs> I said, to Tim Duncan, down here. And he, I held up my hand to give him a high five. It was a low five for him because he's seven feet tall. And he hit me a high five. And then Dirk Nowitzki, the Dallas Mavericks star, hit my hand with a high five. And as they both struck my hand, I couldn't help but notice how big their hands were and how small my hands seemed to be. Standing next to these very tall men, I, I was intimidated just by their height alone. I would never want to get in a fight with someone so large. So what could David be thinking? I mean, when the Goliath, can you imagine every morning and every evening, Goliath would stand nine foot nine inches and challenge all of Israel. And Israel, understandably so, shudders in fear. And many men flee, but not David. David is ready to fight. What was David thinking? What could possibly David be thinking? Why wasn't David afraid? I mean, if you, you just think about it for a moment here, when David sees this Goliath, the giant, he doesn't comment on his height. What does he say in verse 26 of our text? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy, defy the armies of the living God? David took offense at what the Philistine was saying at nine foot nine inches. He didn't care how tall he was. All he could see was a man who was defying the army of the living God. And to defy the army of the living God is to defy God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so David took offense. While all the, all the other men were filled with fear and afraid and running in, in, in fear, David was ready to fight. But what could David be possibly thinking? Where did David get such courage? I mean, the last thing I'd want to do is fight someone who's seven feet tall. I would run away as well. But they, David was ready to stand and fight. Where did David get such courage? Well, if you remember last week, the very last verse we read in our text in 1 Samuel 16 was that after Samuel anointed David, young shepherd boy David, the youngest son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who was still just a teenage boy at the time, when Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel, we read this, 16, chapter 16, verse 14, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David had courage because the spirit of the Lord was upon David. As, as, as Matt read just a moment ago in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God does not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And that same Holy Spirit is now within us. In fact, John in his epistle, in his first epistle, reminds us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The next time we find ourselves becoming afraid or anxious or worried, we have to know that those feelings of anxiety and worry, that's not from the Lord. God doesn't give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Yes, David had courage, the courage to keep fighting when everyone else was afraid. Of course, the truth is we all have fears, don't we? We're all worried about something anxious. It was interesting, the National, uh, Medical, uh, National uh, Mental Health Institute did a recent study on what are the five most popular fears or phobias in America today. Number five is cynophobia. I think I got a picture of a dog here to show you what that is. I'd be afraid of that dog too, if I were you. I love dogs though, but uh, cynophobia are people who are afraid of dogs. Then the next fear, number four, is agoraphobia, 
which is the inability to escape. If you find yourself in a large crowd, you become anxious because like, wow, if there was a fire or if something happened, I couldn't get away. It's that fear of inability to escape. The, th- the third is acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. If I was that guy, I'd be afraid too, looking down there, acrophobia. And the number, second biggest fear is aphidiophobia. You should have a fear of snakes. I would encourage that, particularly the ones with the rattlers on the end. Don't want to play with snakes, uh, particularly rattlesnakes. And the number one, phobia. Yeah, that's it, arachnophobia, right? Fear of spiders. Now, I'm not afraid of spiders, but if I was her, I'd probably be afraid with that many spiders around me. What are you afraid of? What causes you, what causes you to become anxious? Because the truth is, no matter what season of life, when we all get worried about something, sometime. You know, when we're young and in school, we worry about our grades. Am I going to make the, the grades to get into the school that I went to? Or uh, am I going to be a good enough athlete to make the football team or the basketball team or the baseball team or the volleyball team? We worry about things, our performance, when we're young, don't we? Or when we're single, you know, we, we can worry about whether or not we're ever going to meet that special someone and get married. We can worry about whether or not we're going to ever get married. Or when we get married, we can worry about children. Will we be able to have children? And, and then once we have children, we wonder, how are these children going to turn out? Am I going to be a good parent? Will they make good decisions? Will their, will their lives reflect my parenting, hopefully good or bad? Am I going to be a good parent? We can worry about our children. And of course, when we become grandparents, then we worry about our grandchildren. Our lives can be filled with anxiety and worries. We can worry about finances. We can worry about whether or not we're going to have enough money to cover some upcoming expenses. We, we can be worried about our work, whether or not we, we've done all we can to get that promotion we've worked so hard for, or whether or not that deal that we've worked so hard on will, will finally go through, or, or will we meet our numbers uh, in, our, in our profit margins? Will they be big enough to c- keep the business going? We can worry about a lot of things, can't we? So what are we to do when we worry? Well, Saul was worried, as we can see in our text, that no one would be willing to step up and fight this giant Goliath. That's why he offers one of his daughters as a bride. He offers a big bounty, and he says, hey, your family will be free forever if you'll fight and kill this giant Goliath. The great irony of this story, actually, though, is that, well, the person who is most suited to fight the giant Goliath is actually King Saul himself. Because we are told in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 23, that Saul was taller than any of the people from shoulders upward. Saul, King Saul, was chosen as the first king of Israel in large part because he was the tallest man in Israel. Everyone had to look up to Saul. But in this moment, Saul had no courage. Why was Saul so afraid? Well, in 1 Samuel 16, after reading about how the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, We read in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The spirit of the Lord that had given Saul courage to fight in previous battles had now departed from Saul and so Saul was now anxious. He saw what everyone else saw when they looked at the giant Goliath. He saw a very tall man who, who seemed to be insurmountable, who no one would be able to conquer, but not David. David saw things differently didn't he? Because David had the spirit of the Lord. Notice, though, in our text, when young teenage boy David, the shepherd boy, sees and hears all that Goliath is saying, he's ready to fight. And word gets back to Saul. And so Saul summons David, not really knowing who David is at this point. And David shows up and he makes his pitch. He says, I'm ready to fight this Philistine. Don't worry, I'll take him on. 
And Saul rejects David's offer. In verse 33 of our text, we read, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Goliath is a proven warrior. David, who are you? You're just a shepherd boy. You're just a teenage boy. There's no way you could fight a man so tall and strong as Goliath. You're the shortest of your brothers. You're not ready for such a battle. Notice how David replies to Saul's rejection. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The next time we become anxious, let's remember how God has delivered us in the past. The next time we, we feel ourselves becoming overly worried about a situation that we really can't control, let's remember how God has delivered us and been faithful to us in the past. That's what David does. He remembers how God delivered him against the lion and the bear, and he knows that God will deliver him against this uncircumcised Philistine, this giant named Goliath. You know, 11 years ago, this country and most of the world was very anxious, very nervous, very worried because of what we call the Great Recession. We were worried because, you know, the, well, the real estate bubble burst and houses had dropped in prices and mortgages that had been lent out that never should have been lent out were, were, were being foreclosed upon and, and, and banks and, and, and companies that were too big to fail were having to be bailed out by our, our U.S. government. And 8 million people lost their jobs and the stock market went down 30% and the unemployment rate rose almost to 10% and everybody was worried about what's this going to mean for my life and my family and my future? But here we are today. I know the stock market has been volatile this last week, but it's almost close to record highs. The unemployment rate is less than 4%. Jobs are good. People are finding work. God was faithful. He saw us through that. Just as he saw our ancestors, and some of you may have lived through the Great Depression, he saw our family through that. God is always faithful to be with us, even in the midst of hard times, anxious times, if we will turn to him. And when we become anxious, if we'll remember how he's delivered us in the past, we too, like King David, will not be worried, but will be filled with faith. And King David, as he hears this challenge that's coming from from Goliath the giant, all he can think about is how this giant is defying the God of Israel, his God, who has delivered him in the past. And, And so he wants to stand up for God's name. He wants to bring glory and honor to God. That's all David's focused on because he loves God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you love God and you remember all that God has done for you, You can't help but love him and and want to bring glory and honor to his name. In fact, the next time we find ourselves in in an ancient uh, circumstances, we need to ask that question, how can God be glorified through this? I'd like to show that up on the wall there. How can God be glorified through this? Let's say that together. How can God be glorified in these circumstances? How can God be glorified in these circumstances? When I'm going through a, a difficult time and, and I'm worried about the outcome, let's remember that, well, that God was with us in the past, and so we should ask ourselves, how can God be glorified in this diagnosis? How can God be glorified in this broken relationship? 
How can God be glorified in this loss of employment? How might God be glorified in these challenging circumstances? Because we know from Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Not some things, all things. How can God be glorified? That's what David's thinking about. Everyone else is thinking about who can fight this giant. David's thinking, how can God be glorified? What an opportunity to bring glory and honor to God by taking down this giant. Notice in our text that when David approaches the giant, the giant dismisses David. We read about it in verse 43. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. As Goliath is mocking David, David doesn't back down. He replies, Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. The battle is the Lord's. David knew the battle is the Lord's. Can you say that with me? The battle is the Lord's. David was not afraid because he knew that the battle is the Lord's. Moses, when he was leading the people of Israel and he got to the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was behind him, Moses was not afraid because he knew that The battle is the Lord's. When Joshua had to come in and fight the battle of Jericho against a fortified city that everyone thought was impenetrable, Joshua was not afraid because he knew that the battle is the Lord's. When Gideon, with just 300 men armed with torches and trumpets, had to take on the mighty army of Midian, Gideon was not afraid because he knew that the battle is the Lord's. When our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was arrested, flogged, and crucified. He was willing to suffer a sinner's death because he knew that ultimately the battle is the Lord's. Yes, Jesus was crucified on a Friday, but as he told everyone, he was going to rise again on the third day. Yes, we're here on Sunday, the Lord's day, because that was the day that Jesus rose again and conquered both sin and death on our behalf. Yes, the next time we become anxious and worried about tomorrow and worried about our circumstances and worried about the diagnosis and worried about what's going to happen, we don't have to live in fear. No, we can live by faith, knowing that the battle is the Lord's. As many of you know, uh, this Saturday is the uh, one-year anniversary of my uh, father's death, and uh, my dad fought a, a courageous battle against prostate cancer for two years. Uh, he went through radiation, uh, a round of radiation here in Amarillo, and then it, it came back, and so he went through radiation again, and then he went through chemotherapy, and there were plans for him to go through eight rounds of chemo, and he, well, he survived the first round of chemo, but that during the second round of chemo, you know, and and it broke, and so he had to get a new hip, and he had to learn how to walk again. And, and in that time of rehab, he, he had to stop the chemo. And when it was time to resume the chemo, it was too late. The cancer had moved to his spine. Every move he made was, was painful. I remember going to the doctors, and it was on a Tuesday, and the doctors told my dad that he needed to think about palliative care. He needed to think about hospice. And unafraid, with great courage, My dad said, give me the document. I'll sign myself into hospice. 
Unafraid, my father signed himself into hospice. Unafraid, he said his final goodbyes. Unafraid, he breathed his last breath because my dad knows that the battle is the Lord's. And because Jesus lives, he knows that he too will live. That's why on my father's tombstone and on my grandfather's tombstone, it says the very same thing, till we meet again, till we meet again. No matter what happens to us in this life, even if even if we die, we don't have to worry because as followers of Christ, we know that the resurrection is real and that because Jesus lives, we too shall live, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that ultimately the battle is the Lord's. And so we don't fear. Now we focus, as David did, on bringing glory and honor to God out of gratitude for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the God who has already won the battle for us, for on that first Easter Sunday, Jesus rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf, so we don't have to live in worry, we don't have to live in fear, anxiety, we can live by faith, knowing that you give us a spirit, not of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So Lord, the next time we become worried and anxious, help us to remember your faithfulness in the past, help us to do as David did, to focus on how we can bring glory and honor to you, knowing that the battle is the Lord's. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said.